0: All right, have a seat. Thanks, Will and team. That was awesome. That was really good. Welcome to the Springs Community Church. Glad y'all are here this morning. My name is Robert Boyd. I am not the pastor here. Our pastor is John Almquist. He is uh, doing a wedding this weekend, so uh, he asked me to come teach. And so I'm excited about being here, excited about being with y'all. Our family's been with the Springs since it started back in about four years ago. In fact, we were part of the team that met in a doctor's office for uh, with about 10 families. And um, what we always said is that we want to make sure that the Springs is not about a Sunday morning event. The Springs is about a lifestyle. It is about being fully devoted followers of Christ. And so when we brought staff on, we brought John on in September, it's been exciting to see him continue the vision of saying, hey, this is not about a Sunday morning event. This is about what happens on Saturday through or Monday through Saturday? Uh, the other thing is we have Garrison introduces himself this morning. We brought in another staff person. Now, if you sit there and think that our staff people are the ones that are doing ministry at the springs, you'd be horribly mistaken. The people doing ministry at the springs is sitting right here. These are the people doing ministry at the springs. So the reason we bring staff on is to equip these people, our team, going out and doing ministry throughout the week. And so what I love about this place, McKenna, is that this is not the church, okay? Garrison mentioned in two weeks on August 5th, we're doing a baptism. It won't happen here. It's going to happen at the river. So if you show up here on Sunday the 5th, you know who will greet you? The big buck contest winners, all right? That's who's going to be here on August 5th because this is not the church. This building is not the church. You all are the church. These people are the church. And so we're here, we're hiring staff to equip you to do ministry. We have another staff person starting in September. Uh, MK Gouchy is going to be uh, joining us to be our lead our children's uh, team. And again, she is not here to do ministry. She's here to equip you to do ministry. Okay, that's the beauty of what our desire has been for the Springs from the very beginning, and it will continue. If you ever get here and say, the only people doing ministry are staff people, We'll close the doors on the springs because this is designed to equip you all and me to do ministry. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, I don't typically speak on Sunday mornings. I'm going to be drinking a lot of water this morning because I get really cotton mouth here. All right? So we've been doing, uh, the last three weeks, uh, we've been doing a series called Sweeter Than Honey, and it's been sweet, sweeter than honey. And uh, thank you. And um, so... Uh, Three weeks ago, John started by saying, hey, the Bible is worth reading. It is worthy of our study, worthy of it impacting our lives. Two weeks ago, Todd, uh, another member here, stood up here, and he talked about, hey, the Bible is trustworthy. You can trust it because the validity of how it's been preserved over thousands of years, and we can can depend on it because it is a trustworthy place to be. Then last week... Uh, John gave us a general overview of how to study the Bible, okay? So we're entitling this, uh, Sweeter Than Honey, The Application, all right? So when John talked to me, he said, hey, you can preach anything you want to. And I said, I'm going to pick one of my favorite passages in Scripture, and it's from 1 John, okay? So turn your Bibles to 1 John, and um, we'll get going here, all right? So let me turn this thing on and make sure it is working. It is. All right, so... um, a couple of key facts about First John, all right, is that uh, it's written by a guy named John, all right? And this is one of the original disciples. This is James and John, uh, the, the sons of Zebedee. They call them the th- sons of thunder also. Um, also, uh, he was a uh, pastor at the church at Ephesus, all right? So if you've been with us for the last several months, John just finished a, a series on the book of Ephesians. And so later in life, John left Jerusalem, and he went and pastored uh, Ephesus. Um, uh, it, is, uh, it was written about 100 AD. It is written, let me get my notes up here. I'm tired of looking back there. All right. Um, it was likely written in Ephesus, in Ephesus to the church at Ephesus. Now, it's not explicitly says to the church at Ephesus, but it's likely that he wrote it to the church at Ephesus, but it was, it was spread around other churches in, in, uh, throughout Asia. All right. And finally, it's uh, written to believers, all right? So one of the first questions we have to ask ourselves is this, and I never want to assume that everyone in here that has come into the Springs is uh, a believer. So we're going to ask the question, uh, what is a believer, all right? So um, this is something that we've used, that I've used several times to try and explain the gospel, okay? So here we go. So that what we have is we have God on one side here, all right? And we have us on the other side. And there's a huge chasm in there between us that separates us from God, all right? And so in Scripture, we see two instructions to us, or several of them, but two of them are, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64.6, for our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. So people try to earn their way to God all the time. They're trying to get there by... Hey, I go to church on a weekly basis. Hey, I, uh, I serve at the local food pantry. I help the homeless ministry. I do all these good things that I hope will get me to God. And if you ask people, you know, two questions, uh, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Most people would say, uh, yeah, I think so. I think I'm good. Okay, why would you go to heaven is the second question. A lot of times people will say, I'm, a, I'm basically a good person. Well, this clearly says that the thing that separates us is sin, that there's nothing we can do, we in our own power can do to get to God, all right? So what happens is we, we leap for God and we fall short. That's what scripture says. That's what it says there. For all of sin and fall short are the glory of God. And so we're down here still separated from God because we've tried to get there and we can't do it in our own strength. What Scripture clearly teaches is is, uh, it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only beloved Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we have this. We have a bridge that comes in, which is the cross of Christ. And if we trust that, we can now get to God trusting what Christ has done, not our own works. So when John's writing to believers, he's writing to people to believe this that I was separated from God. There's nothing I could do to try to get to him, nothing at all, but simply believing that what Christ did on the cross was sufficient for me to be with God. Now, if you're here this morning and that's all you hear, you just heard a great message because that is good news right there. That is great news because if you're trying to strive and make your way to God and you keep falling short, you keep falling short, this is the message that you need to hear, which is, Christ died for you. All right? Scripture even says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. When this decision is made, when you believe that Christ died for your sins, you are a new creation. The things that used to tempt you, that used to take you away from God, have now been taken away because you are a new creation. You are new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Okay? So that's the backdrop of what we have for 1 John. All right. So let's get into our text now, all right? So 1 John, we're going to start at uh, verse 6, okay? So chapter 1, verse 6. And here's the uh, message we have here, all right? So he's talking to believers. And this is John talking to, likely, his home church. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Now, I just said that Scripture clearly teaches if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So why would he write this to believers? Well, the reason why is because Even though we are new creatures, we are new creations, that old man, that old sin that separated us from God, separated us from God is still wooing us back. It's still trying to pull us back. And sometimes we fall into that temptation. Does it affect our salvation? No, but it creates distance between God and us. Let me give you a a scripture here. Uh, Let's go back to Galatians 5. Real quick, Galatians five nineteen, and uh, and so John uh, didn't. This Paul wrote this, but these are common themes you see through Scripture. This is uh, Galatians five nineteen. Okay, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft; hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He opens that by saying the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And so what John is saying here is if we claim to walk in the light, we walk in darkness, we don't live by the truth. What he's saying there is if you claim that Christ has died for your sins and you continue to partake in these obvious sins that Paul's written out here, you're walking in darkness. But he doesn't leave you there, okay? He goes on to verse 7 and he says, but if we walk in the light," As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. What's the response to when we sin? The obvious sins that are listed out there in Galatians 5.19. It's a reminder. Christ died for me. His blood covered me. I am in fellowship with God because of what he did. I'll sit up here and tell you that there's obvious sins that happen in my life and when that happens there's separation between my, me and God but my salvation has not been called into question but he says remember Christ died for your sins Christ's blood covered you his sacrifice made it possible for you to have fellowship with the father all right now so those are obvious sins all right those are things that we can see those things and i think most people if we if anybody you know, looked at this list in Galatians 5.19, I think the response would be, yeah, that's, that's pretty clear. Those are sins, all right? But then he goes into 1 John 1.8. Okay, this is the next section here. He says, let me get back there. He says, um, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All right. That first section is obvious. All right? That is on one end of the spectrum going, those are clearly sinful acts. What he's going to talk about in verse 8 is the other end of the spectrum. All right? Remember, he's talking to believers. The other other end of the spectrum is this, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. When we as believers realize that sin is separated us from God, and we have fellowship with the Father because of what Christ has done, there's this bubbling up in us that we just can't contain, which is, hmm, I'm really not that bad. And that starts to occur and starts to build. And John realized that as believers, this would be another sin that would be we would be tempted. But it's much more, uh, it's much more, subservient. It's much, it's much much more transparent. It's things that we can't, uh, aren't obvious like the first list of sins we talked about. Y'all with me? Okay. So he's talking to believers and saying, hey, the self-righteousness that occurs, it's just as offensive. If we were to look at it this way, um, we look at self-righteous acts and understand that self-righteous acts, all right, are just as offensive as that list of acts we looked in at Galatians 5.19 they're just as offensive. God says, that is not what my believers do. They don't sit there and get proud and say, man, I am so much better than all these other people here. You know what self-righteous people do? They look, they look at Galatians 5.19, they go, thank God I'm not one of those people. That's what they do, okay? But John is saying this. He says the response to this is nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All right? So let me uh, let me talk through that, all right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He's talking about both sets of sins there, the obvious ones and the self-righteous ones, okay? Both those are offensive to God. And he says the response is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to uh, forgives our sins and purifies from all unrighteousness. Fellowship is restored. All right? Self-righteousness. You want to test uh, self-righteousness. Okay, let me uh, do two things here. I'm going to talk back about the acts of the sinful nature and then self-righteousness. All right? You all with me? 2 Corinthians 5.17 said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. So in order for us to participate in those obvious sinful acts, we have to reconnect Uh that uh, death through our sin nature had happened, okay? So I, I look at it this way. Y'all remember the movie Weekend of Bernie's? Okay, when we participate in those sinful acts, it's like we're walking around with a dead man, all right? We're bringing back a dead man that was, that was destroyed by God. We're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We're saying, hey, come on, dead man. Uh, I want you to walk with me, all right? Now, <clears throat> on the self-righteous side, you want to participate in self-righteous acts? You want to see how self-righteous you are? Do a home improvement project with your wife, all right? That will define self-righteousness, all right? Yesterday, we painted a room, all right? My wife and I painted a room yesterday. I still have some paint on my hands from that, all right? Now, when you're painting, I love my wife, by the way. She's fantastic. But she can't paint with anything, all right? All right, so we start painting this room and all of a sudden she's saying, Hey, you missed a spot there. Oh, you missed a spot over there. You need another coat on this wall. You need someone over. Oh, you dropped some on the floor right there. Okay, now what's happening? I I I've been studying this all week, all right. This is God's test to me right here, all right? Is he's sitting there going, Hey, I want to test your self-righteousness here. Cause you know what I started doing? I was tempted to say, screw it, do it yourself. I'll go watch TV. All right? Have fun. Enjoy it. You're so good at painting. <laughs> all right? I'm out of here. All right? That's a self-righteous response right there. All right? Because that is just as offensive as the acts that we're talking about in Galatians 5. You all with me? The response is confession. The response is confession. Last night, I had to, at the dinner table, uh, I love my kids also, by the way, but we're uh, but <laughs> This is total confession, total transparency. We were sitting at dinner last night, and uh, and uh, Roman, our eight year old, he goes, "Man, you were uh, you were mad walking up the stairs yesterday." And you're talking about those, um, talking about how mom, how bad mom was at painting. And I go, "You heard that?" And he goes, "Yeah, you said it in front of me, my friend Allison, Allison's friend." And uh, Kelly goes, "You said what?" And I said, uh, "Wow, I." I'm sorry, <laughs> will you please forgive me, all right, because one nine says, if we confess our sins, we are faithful and just. Now, that's between my wife and I, so there was a relational distance between us because of my self-righteous attitude that had occurred, okay? The same thing happens between us and God. When we start taking the approach of saying, I got it, God, I'm really not that bad, your death and resurrection, your death on the cross and resurrection, it was good, but you know what? Those people in Galatians 5, they really need it. Me, not so much. And I think what we need to remember is every sin, a sin of self-righteousness or a sin of sexual immorality, a sin of self-righteousness, a sin of drunkenness, a sin of self-righteousness, a sin of orgies, it rounds down. You always end up in the same spot, which is distance from God created by your sin. Is your salvation called into question? No. Is your relationship with God strained? Yes. How is that resolved? If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse me from my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now, there's another passage that we use a lot here also. It's James 5.16. First John 1 9, you and God. James 5.16, you and others. The command is, confess your, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other that you might be healed. So, at the Springs, what you should hear consistently in your community groups is, here's the sin that I did this week. The sin of self-righteousness, the obvious sins of immorality. We should hear that over and over again as we confess confess to both God and others that our relationships might be restored. Y'all with me? One passage talks about obvious immorality. The other one talks about self-righteousness. Okay, that's all 1 John 1, 6, 7, 8, and 9. But we go on to verse 10. And he has another passage about self-righteousness. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Why would he have two verses about self-righteousness and only one about immorality? Y'all, this is consistent through Scripture. You see this over and over again through Scripture. When Jesus was here, who, would he, who did he rail against more than anybody? Pharisees. When Paul writes... What does he talk about more than anything? Not more than anything. Well, he talks about way more than he talks about obvious sins. Self-righteousness. Because he knows that we as people have this desire to just say, I'm really not that bad. And God's saying, hey, if that happens, if you take that that approach of saying you're not that bad, you're going to create distance between us. Because the only way your sin can be resolved is through me. You're much worse off than you thought you were. Christians should be the most humble people in the world, because we realize, but for God, I am hopeless. This thing resonates with me more than, it's crazy how much it resonates with me. The reason why is because uh, I'm a self-righteous person. Um, I'll come back to that. <laughs> Just hold on there. Believe me, I'll come back to it. Um, what I want to do is, as um, the the church at Ephesus, there was another letter that, that John wrote. Okay, in Revelation, all right, and this is uh, Revelation two, and this is when John is doing his. Uh, he's on the island of, of Patmos. And, and Christ is talking to him. He says, hey, I want you to write this stuff down. So this is what he writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks them on the seven gold lampstands. This is Jesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, if that was your resume, if that was your letter of recommendation, you'd probably read that and go, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty. I- I'm doing all right there. All right, but then he finishes out with four and five. And he says, uh, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. What he's saying there is as self-righteous people, we forget our first love. We forget how far and how much Christ has done for us. And we start getting puffed up in our own actions, and our own activities, all right? Um, here's some things I'll, I'll just tell you that speaking from experience as a self-righteous person, all right, and pray for my wife because she has to live with me, all right? Here's some things that I would, uh, would gauge to find out, hey, are you uh, falling into the sin of self-righteousness, okay? One is uh, we just started a ministry here Monday night called Regen, all right? It meets here. It's a pilot program. And our hope is that we'll expand to New Braunfels. we open the New Braunfels in a year from now. Okay? It would be a ministry that we would offer to New Braunfels for hurting people. Regen is designed for um, anybody that has uh, habits, hurts habits, or hang-ups. All right? Now, if you ever meet somebody and you think in your mind, boy, that person could use Regen, you're a self-righteous person. Okay. If you ever see someone that is uh, down on their luck, has has a hard time, and you go, man, I wonder what they did to earn that. You're a self-righteous person. If you have, like me, what I call smartest guy in the room syndrome, where everyone else is dumber than you, you're a self-righteous person. I want to tell you right now, self-righteousness because God speaks about it so much more is at least as offensive and more offensive than those immoral acts we looked at. God is trying to break us down to say don't take the approach of being self-righteous. For me personally, the biggest break that happened to me was about 5 years ago. Okay? I had, because of my attitude that I'm the the smartest guy in the room, I had found myself embroiled in a lawsuit. And it was everything about my character, my work ethic, my work was being called into question. And to the point where I remember asking our attorney, do I need to find a new job? In the midst of that, God in his provision uh, through my parents gave us a trip to Israel in the, in the midst of it. Like this was, this was uh, decision time and this trip had been planned for a year. And he said, Robert, your, your self-righteousness has gotten you into so much trouble. I love you. I care for you. I'm going to take you to Israel and show you who I am. Now, let me tell you that when I came back from Israel, I was a changed person because I realized, man, he has done everything necessary for me even to take care of the sin of self-righteousness that I so easily fall into. So, here's a summary of 1 John 1, 6 through 10. Okay? We have... A person who has believed that Christ died for their sins and rose from the dead is with God. His salvation is secure. He's never going to go away. But we have walking in darkness, obvious sins, and self-righteousness covered in verse 8 and verse 10. The response to that is remember Christ's sacrifice and remember his to confess to him. Because that's how the relationship with God will be restored. Your salvation is never called into question. It's just the relationship between you and God. You with me? Okay. So right now, here's what I want you to do. Is I want you to think about, picture on, in your mind right now, all right? What is the emotion you see on God's face when he thinks about you? Okay, in light of this, because this is an area that we, we, we tend to focus on the left-hand side here, walking in darkness and the self-righteous side and the offense to God. But think about this. What, what emotion do you see on God's face? Do you see one that is, for me, it's disappointment a lot of times? For me, it's disgust. For me, it's God going, seriously, Again? I thought we had talked through this. Can you please get your act together? That's what I hear over, that's, what I, that's the emotion I see. I don't know what emotion you see, but I hope you're in your mind thinking through that right now. What emotion do I see on God's face when he thinks about me? Then we go into, with that setting, with that in mind, we're going to go into 1 John chapter 2. So can you hear the pastor's heart here? The church that he's in. My dear children, uh, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. The acts of immorality, the acts of self righteousness. But to use John's phrasing, this is where the secret sauce is. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's given us instruction in the first chapter of of, of one, and it continues on in chapter two. He's saying, hey, those acts of of, uh, moral failure, those acts of self-righteousness, understand that your relationship is called into question. These are the things that bring you back together. But... I write to you so you will not fall into a point where your relationship with God is strained because we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. And when God looks at us, you know who he sees? He sees Jesus Christ. He sees the finished work on the cross. He says, and you know what emotion comes on his face? Happiness, joy, Excitement, love. Those are the emotions that we that are in God's face because He looks and sees us. All right? Look familiar? It's summertime. At the Boyd House, our favorite show is America's Got Talent. If you've seen America's Got Talent, it's a talent show with four judges. And the four judges they determine who is talented, and through that, they carry on. I don't have any talents, okay? I can make this noise. That's it, all right? I won't go very far. If someone asked me to sing on America's Got Talent, it would be a horrible experience for me and everyone that would ever hear that, okay? What does First John 2 say? we have an advocate, one that takes care of us. If I were to sing on America's Got Talent, this is what God would hear because I have aligned myself with Christ. Saying, Robert, you're my golden buzzer. You are the apple of my eye because of what Christ has done. And we got to remember this, that the judge comes down from around his deal, puts his arm around you and says, you're mine. You are mine. And we got to remember, we got to put ourselves and align ourselves with who Christ is. He's our advocate. And because he's our advocate, you're his golden buzzer. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And so when we hear that, we got to remember, I don't want to put any distance in my relationship with who God is. And the way I do that is realizing that He died for me, He rose again, and because of Him, I can have perfect fellowship with the Father. You're His golden buzzer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends here. Lord, I pray that uh, today, as we walk out of here, we would realize and remember who You are and who we are, and realize we have an advocate that stands before God and says, I took his sin. I took his place. And because of that, God loves us and is crazy about us and wants what's best for us. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we would walk out and be ready to tell someone that bridge illustration, the simplicity of knowing who we are apart from God Our best works cannot get to him, but only through believing in Christ's death and resurrection can we have perfect fellowship with you, and it would continue for the rest of our lives into eternity. But I pray for my friends today that they would recognize that they are the golden buzzer of who? Of God. And recognize that you are crazy about him because of what Christ has done. Probably in Christ's name, amen. You have a great week of worship.